if you're a fan, you may think free speech took it on the chin this week. If you're on the side calling for his head, you're probably celebrated. Milo Yiannopoulos divides people like a wall. You're standing on one side or the other. Welcome to Copyright Clearance and podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. So far in 2017, the biggest book of the year is one that hasn't yet been published. The political memoir Dangerous hit a wall on Monday when Simon & Schuster announced it was pulling away from its deal with the Breitbart firebrand Yiannopoulos. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, has an idea that the decision had nothing to do with politics and everything to do with public. He joins me now with the latest book world news, as he does every Friday. Welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Well, well, indeed, Milo Yiannopoulos may be the number one story this week, Andrew, but you've got your eye on another number, number six. Listeners will likely know the big five publishers, but in the trade world, who clocks in at number six and beyond is a mystery to most of us. And in Monday's upcoming issue, PW, for the first time, ranks the biggest publishers in the trade game, and so I'll ask you who is number six yes drum roll please the answer is scholastic uh, as you say pretty much anyone who's even remotely interested in book publishing knows who the big five trade publishers are if not necessarily in what order they rank but based on unit sales uh, made at retailers in the u.s that report to bookscan we found that scholastic actually clocked in at number six and apparently that did not surprise my boss pw editor jim milliet the big question always was number who was number six you know, in retrospect, it's not surprising that it was Scholastic, especially since last year was a huge year for them with Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and some other big hits. So, like I said, in retrospect, it was pretty clear. And another year, it could be somebody else, but I think Scholastic has got a leg up on number six. So, as Jim notes, the company Scholastic had 33 titles hit PW's frontless fiction bestseller list last year, including uh, the top-selling print book of 2016, which was J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which sold about 4.4 million units. Other notables from this first-ever ranking, no surprise, uh, the biggest of the big sales. Penguin Random House clocked in at number one, you know, and it really should almost get its own category at this point. The two largest houses combined to make a mega house uh, back in 2012. Number two was HarperCollins and then Simon & Schuster in third place. Uh, and this week, Simon & Schuster reported that its worldwide revenue clocked in at about $767 million in 2016. And that's actually down 1.8% from 2015. But a theme we hear a lot in the digital age, profits at Simon & Schuster were actually up. The Heshat Book Group clocked in at number four, uh, and Macmillan rounded out the top five. So the question you might have now is, who's in seventh place? Well, another children's publisher, Disney. They also had a good run with the bestsellers uh, in 2016. But for me, the ranking really starts to get interesting in the second top 10. Uh, 11th through 20th places are really a, an interesting mix of independent presses. There's Norton and Kensington and Chronicle in there and divisions of larger companies. There's Sterling, which is owned by Barnes & Noble. Uh, there's Dover, which is owned by LSC Communications. Uh, there's children's publishers like Candlewick and Religion Houses in there as well. Uh, and interestingly, John Wiley clocked in at the number 12 spot 
And that basically reflected its business book sales uh, and other trade-oriented general retailer titles and not its educational materials. And Wiley's really sort of made a pivot into the educational markets and professional markets over the last few years. So this is our first year of doing the rankings of trade publishers here in the U.S. You can check it out on the PW site and in Monday's issue. And we think it's some pretty interesting stuff. Well, Andrew, it's good to get a view beyond the Big Five because they dominate so much of the coverage in Publishers Weekly and even the coverage we give on our podcast. Indeed, we will return in a moment with a story that concerns one of the Big Five, Simon & Schuster. This is Chris Keneally for Beyond the Book. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. This is Chris Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book. And turning now, Andrew Albanese, to the top story this week, Simon & Schuster announced on Monday it would cancel a controversial book contract with Milo Yiannopoulos. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think absolutely no one is probably surprised at this development, to be quite honest. But indeed, in a terse statement this week, officials at Simon & Schuster announced they had canceled uh, Milo Yiannopoulos' forthcoming book, Dangerous, after a video of the controversial Breitbart contributor surfaced in which he appeared to be defending sexual relationships between grown men and boys. Uh, and everywhere, I think, you know, the headlines read that, alas, pedophilia, that's a bridge too far for Simon & Schuster. But, you know, Actually, I don't believe that's exactly right, because I don't think it was so much what Milo was talking about this time as it was that Milo just can't stop talking. Uh, and I think that's really what finally pushed SNS to dump him. Well, it's an interesting interpretation. And so tell us more. What do you think was the last straw here? Well, simply put, I think that Milo was a really loose cannon. And I think his leash was pretty short already, as evidenced by Simon & Schuster issuing a statement earlier saying that they were not going to condone hate speech in any book. And he really seemed to have the attention of the higher-ups at Simon & Schuster. But I think what this last week showed is that, as we've been saying on this show, as I've been saying on this show, that Milo isn't really a, a, a thinker or an author, but he really is more of an entertainer, a right-wing entertainer. And for Simon & Schuster... They never knew what he was going to say next, who he was going to upset or offend or why. And that really just couldn't stand. Now, I know many people have wanted to make this whole thing an issue about free speech. But as I've said before, this really was never about free speech. What it really was about was that Simon & Schuster decided to get into business with Milo. And the past week showed that that business was just no longer tenable because not only was he under fire from people on the left, but also from people on the right. And if you look at the comment stream on the PW story this week announcing that SNS had pulled the book, you'll see Milo's defenders slamming the hypocrisy of the left and blasting liberals. But in fact, it was the right that put a fork in Milo here. It was CPAC, the conservative group that disinvited him. It was a group of right-wingers that actually surfaced the tape of him talking and distributed it. He was forced to resign from Breitbart as well. And let's face it, Breitbart sure ain't the left. So, you know, I'm willing to say his comments seeming to condone pedophilia were probably the last straw for the right, for CPAC and for Breitbart. But for Simon & Schuster, who never were really in business with Milo for his views, 
I think this was more about the fact that they just didn't know what they were going to get from him except for trouble. So in my editorial career, I have to say, looking back, my boss and mentor used to always use this one phrase. Sheldon Meyer was a legendary editor uh, at Oxford University Press when I worked there, and I worked for him for a good five years, and his mantra to me was always, publish authors, not books. And that really comes to mind here, because as an author, you never knew what kind of clownery you were going to get out of Milo, when or why. And it's really just impossible for a publishing house to get behind an author like that. Now, I don't disagree with people who say that Milo's entire career to this point should have been enough to warn Simon & Schuster away. I actually think that's probably right. I don't know why they thought Milo was worth investing in in the first place. And I think that's a fair question and one that's going to hang over Simon & Schuster for quite a while. So probably the editors there don't want to hear this, but I guess what you're telling me is that Simon & Schuster, this isn't over yet. Well, in fairness, I think Simon & Schuster is probably going to face a little more scrutiny about why they signed Milo in the first place. Yeah, I do think it's probably not over for them. And for the industry, this week we're going to hear a lot more about you know the values of publishing and free speech issues. And honestly, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You know, That's the kind of discussion that's always well worth having. And for Milo, his book will come out. Either he'll self-publish it or someone else will. But I'll just end this for us by reiterating what I said uh, a couple of weeks ago on this podcast that emphasizing the fact that this really wasn't a free speech issue because no one is really stifling Milo. He has the right to say all the stupid offensive things that he wants. That's left in force. He can still do that. But that doesn't protect him from the reaction of others. It doesn't protect him from being dropped against Simon and Schuster. And he was not discriminated against by Simon and Schuster any more than any other author that is rejected by SNS, whether that's at the proposal stage or when they deliver a manuscript or whatever. Still, I'm going to leave you with this. He's probably going to sue somebody. He needs the exposure and he needs the publicity. And he's got a lot of people who are crowing for him on his side. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the next step for Milo was to get the lawyers involved. Well, you know, it's uh, it's true. Certainly so far, he has been getting plenty of publicity, and that may even drag out through next month when both of us head over to London for the annual London Book Fair, which is a month earlier uh, than it typically is, coming in March uh, in 2017 rather than April, as in past years. And the upcoming issue of Publishers Weekly will have a London Book Fair preview. And what are you expecting to find? Uh, we're going to hear about Brexit. We're going to move from, from Milo Yiannopoulos to to Brexit when we get there. What are the other stories you're expecting to cover? Yeah, no, I expect we're going to be talking about Milo <laughs> a little bit there as well. Uh, but in Monday's issue, you can check out our annual briefcase, uh, which will have uh, a listing of all the various rights that are going to be on sale and available from publishers and for publishers uh, at the London Book Fair this year. And, you know, I'm expecting this year, and we talked a bit about this when I was in Paris uh, a couple of weeks ago, is probably going to have quite a bit of uh, politics involved. For the second year in a row, I think publishers are coming into London finally with the wind at their backs. In the UK and the US, print sales are pretty stable. Uh, in fact, overall publishing revenues are looking pretty good. Um, they're stabilizing in mainland Europe, which has been suffering through a, a long and nasty uh, recession. And, you know, markets are booming in in Asia and in places like South Africa. So on that score, I think publishers are going to show up to London pretty optimistic about where things are going. But at the same time, politically, we are entering a very uncertain period. We have obviously Donald Trump here in the US and people still don't know what that's going to mean for publishing. And you have Brexit in the UK, the meat of which we're starting to get into now as to how they're actually going to execute their 
exit from the EU. And of course, you've got in France an election coming up in May and a right wing threat there. And just I think publishers are going to be quite anxious about uh, politically how that might serve them or not serve them in the coming years. Well, indeed, you're right, Andrew. There's going to be a lot to talk about. Copyright Clearance Senate will be there in its usual form uh, with a number of programs, a couple of which I'm going to be moderating myself. And just to share with uh, listeners, uh, you can check out the full schedule at copyright.com uh, forward slash London. But we'll be checking in on the road to digital transformation on Tuesday afternoon, a special study that has been commissioned looking at um, the state of digital transformation in publishing. And we'll have the results of that. I look forward to the discussion there. And then on Wednesday, our annual Open Access Forum will be uh, uh, talking about the winning move for open access. And the notion there is that uh, collaboration among the various stakeholders, the institutions, the publishers, the authors, and the funders is what it's going to take to get open access to the next level. So all of that on copyright.com forward slash London. And and definitely, uh, Andrew, we are looking forward to seeing you there at the London Book Fair. Until next week, then, cheerio, and thanks for joining me on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. Next on Beyond the Book. Earlier this month, the second U.S. publishing mission to Cuba visited the annual Havana Book Fair to continue developing relationships with potential trading partners and readers. When Cuban authorities seized copies of a novel from a Cuban exile living in the United States, the experience highlighted for publisher Judith Kerr the cultural and political gulf that separates two nations only 90 miles apart. The thing to remember in these places, and the same has been true of other countries, is that their political system is not the same. And there's not necessarily an obvious way of seeing that or even experiencing it normally, except this was that. It's like, okay, there is a big difference. There's nothing you can do. The books are not going to be made available to you. The Perils and the Promise of Cuba for U.S. Book Publishers, next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center with subsidiaries Rights Direct in the Netherlands and Ixis in the United Kingdom. CCC is a global leader in content workflow, document delivery, text and data mining, and rights licensing technology. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.